In this episode, we will explore one of the best tools available for those interested in South African birds, the SABAP2 website. I chatted to the Projects Information Systems Specialist, Michael Brooks. Michael, who is responsible for all the IT and software development for the SABAP2 project, tells us all about what the website offers birders. He also chats about some of the recent updates that have been made to the website and how this will add to your enjoyment of birds. Bring new life to your garden this spring with Westerman's Wild Bird Seed, a delicious seed mix attracting a variety of wild birds to your garden. Now available in a 10 kg bag plus 1 kg free. Find it at various pet and lifestyle retailers across South Africa, online and in store. Westermans for the love of birds. My name is Adam and this proudly South African podcast is your weekly source of news about birds, birders, destinations, conservation, gear, books and anything that we think birders will want to hear about. There are two easy ways to support us that will cost you nothing to do. The first way is by telling someone else about the podcast. So if you enjoy the content in the show, please share it with someone else. A second way is by following this podcast on whatever platform you're listening to it on and take some time to rate and comment on it. These two steps help us to grow the podcast and reach new listeners. Please drop us a direct message on any of our social media platforms or send us an email on info at and tell us where you listen to the show from. We would love to get to know you better. So before we hear from Michael, we are going to have our second short insight around birds and birding from Fancy Peacock. In this week's slot, he chats about penguins. This slot is brought to you by the Firefinch app. Facts, fun, feathers. Man-sized penguins. Perhaps, like me, you feel that the nearly 1,000 species of birds we have in Southern Africa already require a lifetime to study, never mind the other 9,000-odd birds worldwide. But we sometimes forget that there have been countless species before we came along, going all the way back to the dinosaurs. But paleontologists do not have the luxury of observing living, breathing birds, studying their plumage, their calls, their genetic code to infer relationships. Their sole clues are fossilized remains. I have a lot of respect for this specific subspecies of ornithologist. I've spent time with paleontologists in the museum and seen just how excited they can get about some little protuberance on a fossilized bone. To me, it's a bump. To them, it's a revelation. A glimpse into an ancient past on the planet we have all shared for 4.5 billion years. The first published mention of extinct penguins was by the famed naturalist Thomas Huxley, back in 1859. Huxley was nicknamed Darwin's Bulldog due to his belief in the then outrageous theories of Charles Darwin, which all of us, or virtually all of us, take for fact today. Huxley also championed the belief that birds evolved from small bipedal carnivorous dinosaurs, another point on which he was correct. Anyways, since then around 42 genera of extinct penguins have been described. Not 42 species, 42 genera. Today, our living penguins span only six genera. The dedicated scientists who meticulously unravel penguin taxonomy, both with pickaxes in the field and statistical software in the lab, have provided a remarkable insight into how this group of birds came to terrify fish in the world's southern oceans. 
It appears as the most ancient penguins, or at least penguin-like ancestors, I guess, had already entered the world around the KPG boundary. If you're a geology buff, that abbreviation would be like, duh. But for the rest of us, around 66 million years ago, an asteroid smashed into the Earth, causing an extinction event that ended 75% of plant and animal species, including the non-avian dinosaurs. Back then, it was the end of the world. Today, it is a thin band of iridium-rich clay and stratified rocks. Back then, early penguin-like birds occurred in Antarctica and New Zealand, which were actually much closer together due to plate tectonics. It is also likely that these proto-penguins could still fly. Shortly thereafter, penguin fossils appear in South America. Perhaps the golden age for penguins was around 40 to 30 million years ago. During this period, penguins grew to absolutely gigantic proportions. Anthropornis norgenskolgi was around 1.8 meters in length and weighed 90 kilograms. That's about the same as me, well, after the Christmas holidays at least. The shorter but fatter New Zealand giant penguin, Pachydiptes ponderosus, may have reached 100 kilograms. For comparison, the largest living species today is the emperor penguin, which is just over a meter in length and weighs about 22 to 45 kilos. But the king of them all was Paleodiptes klikowski, the colossus penguin from Antarctica. These giants are the biggest penguins yet discovered and may have towered up to 2 meters high and weighed around 116 kilograms. It is thought that the colossus may have been able to stay underwater for 40 minutes. Interestingly, it wasn't only in the cold waters where these birds flourished. Remains of Icadiptes Selassie were unearthed in the coastal deserts of northern Peru, which were actually quite balmy 36 million years ago. Can you imagine a giant penguin with a bill as long as a heron's waddling about on a tropical beach? Despite 160 years of research on this topic, we're still making discoveries. In 2006, a group of kids on a school outing to Kawia Harbour in New Zealand happened upon what they first took to be a rusty propeller. Turns out, it was actually the fossilized remains of another new species of giant penguin, Kairuku Waiwerua, meaning long legs in Maori language. Not only were penguins big, but they were numerous. Fossil remains from Seymour Island, near the tip of the Antarctic Peninsula, showed that up to 10 species lived there together 35 million years ago. Rather sadly, giant penguins disappeared around 25 million years ago. Why? Well, we may be to blame, and by we, I mean mammals. The demise of giant penguins may have well been related to the rise of toothed whales, which ultimately outcompeted them for food. If ever I lay my hands on a time machine, the first thing I'm doing is twitching the Colossus penguin. To read this article on your phone, check out the 30-day free trial of Firefinch app. Firefinch is packed with articles on birding hotspots, bird biology, ID tips, stories and fun challenges, as well as a field guide with illustrations, photos and sound clips of nearly 1,000 Southern African birds. Firefinch. Facts, fun, feathers. So I'm chatting to Michael Brooks, who is the Information Systems Specialist for the SABAP2 project. I'm really excited to have you on the show and to chat all about the SABAP2 website. So welcome to the show, Michael. Hi, hi. I'm uh, glad to be here. 
and uh, for the opportunities. So much of the correspondence that people get from Sabab is from Sanjay and Sanjay, and she's doing a fantastic job with um, Sabab. She is really, uh, yeah, her communications is brilliant. But you do a lot of the behind the scenes work. So before we chat about the project, can you tell us a little bit, a little bit about yourself and how you got involved in the Sabab project? Um, yeah, sure. I actually studied nature conservation at what was then the um, Cape Technicon uh, in the late 90s. Um, after that, I worked with the South African National Parks and started on the information systems journey there. Uh, I left National Parks and went on my own for a bit, a couple of years, and then joined the Animal Demography Unit um, at the university uh, to work on SAFRING, um, on the data systems for SAFRING. And sort of just grew from there into a full-time position across the various projects. So when in 2007, SABAP 2 was launched, um, I was given the responsibility of designing and building all of the information systems, the websites, the databases, and all the processing software um, for the project. And that's been for the last, now what, 17 years, 16 years? Been just growing it, growing with the project and um, continuing. Yeah, so it's interesting when I read a little bit about you on the SABAP2 website, it says that you are an avid photographer and you are a registered bird ringer. So it's quite cool that you actually are a birder because, you know, you get some people that work behind the scenes of some of these projects and it's not their passion, but obviously birds and their conservation is, is, is obviously a passion of yours. Uh, yeah, more the conservation side of things. I'm not one to go chasing birds, but when I do go out, I do look at birds. So I don't keep a list or things like that, but I do enjoy birding. I enjoy atlasing. So yeah, it is that is important to know what you're doing when working on the systems. You've got to sort of be able to think like a birder, think like somebody who is out there doing the atlasing. So that's what we've tried to do. And then just just in terms of, I just we'll talk about the you know that they move across from the Sabab one to the Sabab two project, but. You know, one of the things that I think has revolutionized and transformed birding in South Africa is the Bird Lasser app. You know, since Bird Lasser's come in, you know, how much more data have you seen coming in? Because I can imagine that has just taken atlasing and the data that's available to you guys to a whole new level. Oh, absolutely. Um, Hank Nell and Bird Lasser have been an absolute revolution in the atlasing. When Bird Lasser was launched in 2014, we saw a massive uptake in participation, almost three times what we had before, purely because the app made it that easy to Atlas. Before, you would have to go write in your notebook, get back home, upload it into the data management system, and submit it. With Bird Lasser, it's one app, one process. You put it, you log it in the field, and you get into coverage, and you just submit. Simple. And it has been a, a real boon to the project. So at the moment, about 95% or almost 98% of the data comes in through BirdLasser. It is a massive influence and a massive tool for us to use. And it has become our standard tool for the entire African Bird Atlas project. Um, so when we are up and the project is now grown into Africa, that is the, what we recommend as the data capture, um, data collection tool. And it is taken up very quickly and easy. I think one thing that makes the Banks Bird Lasser such a fantastic tool is you're going out doing what you love doing, you know, gathering gathering your a list of the birds you're seeing when you're out in the field. It's it's integrating your your life list and all these things. And I think it's just the usability of the of the app. And another thing about which has always blown my mind is that it's it's just a free resource and it's it's available to birders and it's absolutely brilliant. It it is, it is. And one of the other things that I like one of the bigger benefits I found in Bird Lasser is you can share your data from Bird Lasser to multiple causes and multiple projects. 
you're not limited to it's an Atlas project um, app. Um, so BirdLife has got a lot of projects registered with BirdLasso, so they get data that is collected as well. You can send your data to other um, Atlasing projects. So it is a really a great tool for the collect once, use many times uh, mindset because it gives the data the maximum um, distribution. So that is really nice. So we have listeners from all around the world and also have people that are birders and some people that might be stumbled across this podcast and not know anything about birding. And SABAP obviously stands for the South African Bird Atlas Project. Can you give us a brief overview of the project and its history? In the late 80s, from um, we had the SABAP 1 project, which was the first big atlas project in South Africa. Uh, first big citizen science atlas project in South Africa. Um, and that collected data on a quarter degree basis, um, grid cell basis. And you had about 30 days to do a card or to do your survey in that quarter degree. When that ended in 92, I think it was, we sort of had a big gap between that and the start of 2007 SABAP 2. What happened was in that time, a lot of conservationists started noticing that some bird species were in decline but there was no data to actually substantiate that. It's the kind of thing you, you see in your field work that, you know, secretary bird is suddenly not as abundant as it was before. So Les Underhill pioneered the project with a whole group of other um, top ornithologists in the country to establish the Southern African Bird Atlas II project. And then through a lot of discussions and a lot of meetings, it was decided to use the Pentad um, as the spatial scale, which is much smaller than a quarter degree. Uh, there are nine pentads in one quarter degree. And then to reduce the time span per survey to five days. And that would give us a much finer resolution than SABAP 1, but still allow us to cover the maximum area in the country that was deemed possible. Um, this was now before mobile phones had GPSs in it and all this kind of thing. So at the time, our observers all relied on 150,000 maps from mapping and survey. Um, and that's where we started. Uh, we wrote the software, wrote all the systems, and we had launches through a lot of bird clubs and through BirdLife South Africa and went on from there. And it grew very fast, which is great. And then in 2014, like I said, BirdLasser came on board and then it just shot up even further to getting really great numbers. So well, then we are here we are today again, like I said. So I feel that, you know, the website, the SABAP2 website, is it's probably my, the website that I probably use more than any other website. But just as a matter of interest, in terms of the data that is submitted, how many atlases are submitting data to the project and approximately how many cards come through a month? Since the project started, there's been just over 4,000 atlases um, or people, uh, citizen scientists that have contributed to the project. On average, the, the most active consistent group there's about 550 observers active at any one time and they have they have submitted the majority of the data so we we have people coming on board and leaving and then we have new people joining so you know it's a very dynamic group of people that are doing it we've got our stalwarts which is about 300 observers who have actually been there since the start of the project and have submitted massive amounts of data Um, and we're really grateful to them for that so you know, there's two protocols. There's the full protocol cards, and then there's the ad hoc protocol cards. Ad hoc is more of a list of incidental sightings, and we use it for distribution and temporal studies. But the full protocol cards, we've got about 320,000 cards submitted since the start of the project. And before COVID hit, we were up to about 26,000 cards a year. Unfortunately, COVID did slow that down quite considerably, and we dropped, but we are now making that fight back up to those numbers again. So it's 
quite good. But it, it varies by a month. You know, in, um, winter months, we tend to get less data in. It's cold and raining in most of the country, so nobody actually wants to go out there. And then just in terms of what well, quite interesting to have, have things like the petrol price going up and that type of thing, has that had a big impact on the amount of cards that have come that, that come through to you guys? It has. So with COVID, we saw a massive, uh, like I said, we saw a drop, uh, drop in contributions and submissions. As COVID came to an end, we started seeing that rise up again and, and going back towards where pre-COVID numbers. And we actually got like 90% of the way back to pre-COVID numbers. And then the petrol price started skyrocketing at the beginning of this year, 2022. And that has become a bit of a barrier to people going out and atlasing as much as they want to, they would like to. We haven't seen a drop in the amount of time people are spending in the observing atlas, in the pentads. So when they do go atlasing, they're still spending on average about three and a half hours in a pentad atlasing. But we're seeing less cards coming in and people are no longer able to go to the further out or go further or far out from where they live. Uh, the cost is just prohibitive to drive out two hours to go atlasing. So we are seeing a drop there. But I'm confident that's going to come back up now and people are going to adapt. Uh, hopefully the petrol price comes down again a bit more. And then we'll see people going out again. Yeah, you're chatting there a little bit about the amount of atlases there are. Just a couple of interesting things I've seen. Duncan McKenzie was actually a show on the show last season, really fantastic episode. I mean, I'm looking here, he has done an incredible 4,400 full yeah. protocol cards. That's yeah, it's, insane. It's just silly. His, his numbers are just out of this world. I mean, Andy Bradfield's our, our second uh, most prolific contributor, um, and Andy's done about 3,700 cards. It's just fantastic. It's insane. Like, yeah, just take 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 a bow, Duncan. It's awesome. And then just was something of, of interest the other day. I was out birding, and um, you can add additional observers into the onto your card. And there were two people in the car with me um, just talking about the people that have registered. So Jenny Norman was in the car with me, and her SABAB number was 296. So it shows she's one of the, you know, she's been doing it for a long time. Yeah. And yeah. then the other guy in the car, car with me was 22. 009 Brandon Gould and he's just started more recently it's just you know it's it's like it's almost exciting to see the different numbers and and that number even, even that number has a story about how long you've been doing it and you know it's yeah, exciting yeah. to see someone who's like a, a uh, someone like Jenny who's been doing it for all these years and then you have someone like Brandon a younger birder who's just coming into it it's 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 exciting to see you've you've got that balance between the two yeah yeah it's it's great to see new people coming on board so the project is growing and attracting new observers i mean almost daily and that really is nice and we have this buddy system where a new observer can can contact the project and we'll try and put them in touch with somebody who has been atlasing for a while just to give them those extra steps and to help them out to understand the protocol and to get out and get going and it has helped quite a lot particularly when people are um, atlasing in more outside of the city centers and the population centers and the smaller towns and things like that, where generally you don't know who else is atlasing, just to help people get in touch, form a bit of a partnership going and get up and running. So it really does help. So you, you touched on earlier about that transition between SABAP 1 and SABAP 2, but tell us a little bit about how that transition happened and maybe some of the challenges be between the two. Um, the biggest, tra biggest challenge would be comparing the data. Because of the two resolutions being so different, um, both spatially and temporally, you know, you've got a 30-day card versus a five-day card, um, and you've got a quarter-degree area versus a pentad area, which is much smaller. It's not easy to directly compare 
the effort in areas. So that is that is a, a, quite a big um, challenge um, that needs to be overcome. And Res Altveg and the guys from Seek and Les Underhill have put a lot of time into how we actually do that and how we get the best results for the comparison out of it. Yeah, it's, it's just, you know, a lot of the atlases that are running in our current project in SABAP 2 did not do SABAP 1. A lot of them were just too young, to be honest. I mean, I was way too young. So they don't have that history of under, of knowing what it was. So that that's not an issue. But you you do have these these guys like um, Craig Whitting Jones, um, Les Underhill, and all these the older generation of our atlases who have done both. And I don't know if there is a huge challenge to it. I think they've adapted. If there if there was, they've adapted very well, very quickly. I I, I just can't imagine atlasing or, or surveying an entire quarter degree area. I mean, it's. 30 kilometers by 30 kilometers is huge. Well, definitely we can't manage, uh, can't imagine doing an area that size with the petrol price. I mean, like I go and I go to a full, a full protocol card and it's, it's, it can take, if you do it quite intensively, it can be quite a bit of driving. So for that, mm-hmm. for the size of that, unless you had, had a, a good, a good budget, I mean, to cover that size, that, that size area would have cost quite a bit of money. Oh, an absolute fortune. Yeah. And because the protocol there was a little looser than what we have now. Um, some of the times you never got the whole quarter degree area covered. You only got where it was accessible, so along the roads. And that meant in some areas, large portions were actually under atlas. So all of those is why the design was made smaller, the spatial regions were made smaller, to, to actually get better coverage of the actual land. Yeah. As always, the Burning Life is proud to be associated with Sarovsi Optic, one of the world's leading producers of binoculars, monoculars, and spotting scopes as well as the Bird Lasso bird logging app. Spot, plot, play a part. Download and install the app to play your part in social conservation. One of the ways that you can help us to keep putting out the content that we are releasing is by supporting our online shop. We sell optics, books, Westerman's products, and a whole lot more. Check out the shop on our website, www.thebirdinglife.com. If you need any help with any of the products, please don't hesitate to email us on info at theburdinglife.com. So obviously, this uh, there are people that listen to the show on the ornithological world, but majority of the listeners who listen to the show are are actually birders. So for them, they'd be approaching the website as a birder. So I said earlier that the, the website is a wealth of information, but can you give us a quick overview of what the website offers birders? From a general birder point of view, your best resource is actually the uh, the coverage map. Because on the coverage map, you have various levels are where you can drill down into the data and get species lists for regions and areas. So if you are trying to chase a specific list or something like that, you can go to the coverage map and look for that area. So if you're going on holiday or you're going to do birding in, I don't know, the Natal South Coast, Toti, you can actually go and create a group and look just for a bird list for Toti or Mams and Toti. And you can get there when the birds were last seen, things like that. So you can actually see which birds are the most recent sightings, which ones are haven't been sighted in a long time. So it makes planning and, and getting a base list for when you're going on holiday quite nice, where you're going out for a trip quite nice. Uh, if you're looking for specific species of birds, uh, like you're trying to find that one that is rare and special to you, then you can go to the species account pages and you can find out where that bird was last seen. We have added now um, below the, the species map, you, we've added a section where the last 10 sightings of a species comes up and which pentad it occurs in. 
So you can actually plan your, your trip to go to that specific pentad to look for that bird. So there's a lot of options there depending on how you want to look for, how you go birding. If you're chasing specific species, you can use the species accounts to find the information. If you're just going to an area and want to know what you can find there, then you can use the coverage map information and you get a species list of what you can expect. So those are the biggest resources on the on the actual website. You can also then, like I say, you can manage your data, you can submit data, you can have a look at your atlasing life lists on the website and all those kind of things as well, which is really handy. So I know something that I love, like you, you we spoke about the coverage maps. It's probably the tool that I use the most on it. So, you know, I'm almost daily going on to the end when I go to a specific pentad, whether it's pentads I've atlas or pentads that I want to go into an atlas, I'm pulling up, you know, by pentad, which is quite a restricted area you spoke about where I can actually see what birds have been recorded there, but not just the birds been recorded there. I can even like pick up from that data when last was recorded, the frequency that it's been recorded. And it's it's a really fantastic tool because, you know, when you're going into an area, you straight away know that this is the amount of birds. Another thing which I don't know if you just want to touch on, which is which is something I only discovered much later on, is that you, like I'm doing a bit of a, a challenge for my area. And instead of just honing it on one pentad, you actually can group pentads together, which means you can actually get a, a list, not just of a single pentad, but of the pentads as a whole. And what it does, it consolidates information for that, that whole area. And that that's a really fantastic tool it, it is yes um it's the group function so it's on the right hand side you got to you can create a pentad group that is custom to a selection of pentads that you want you basically just drag a polygon around the map around the area of interest and it and create a name uh, for that and it'll create that and save it under your profile so that you can go back to it over again and it's really nice when you're having your when you planning a trip you can actually create groups for the trip the different stop areas or if you're planning things like bashes or a sub project you can create a sub project area and challenge people to like contribute data to that project and it's really nice to be able to have a link where you can go directly into that data and drill down into it and find out all the information you're looking for and track the progress on how your group is going how the growth in that area is going so yeah that that is a a really nice um, feature. I actually use that myself quite a lot when people ask for data outputs. I just simply go and create a group and extract the data for that group. And it's it's very easy to use, very easy to do. But the other side of it obviously is is the, the competitive side of birding. And, you know, a lot of birders have a competitive side. So, but but I kind of feel less guilty about being a bit more competitive on the atlasing side because I'm actually making a, a contribution a contrib- contribution to conservation. You know what I like about it? You can almost see who's seen the most birds in a pentad. And, you know, for the for people a little bit competitive, you, and it allows you just to have that competitive edge, go and see who's recorded the most in a specific pentad. And and it's, it actually even adds to the fun part of that. But the difference is you're not just chasing after birds. You actually are going and actually contributing to conservation while doing what you love. It is. Um, I mean, people bird for different reasons. Some chase lists, some like the competitive nature of it. We want to create tools where you can indulge both of those without compromising the research data, the scientific data behind it. So yes, you can go and see um, who's got the most species and things like that. And that's great. I mean, people like that, but you know, that's just another a nice summary to have for people to look at. Uh, for us, it's about collecting the data, collecting the data for research and for science reasons. But yeah, we would like to like have everybody enjoy what they're doing and making sure that we are meeting the needs of 
those birders who are using the project and who are contributing to the project. And and talking about the the competitive fun side of it, one thing you've added to the website, which I absolutely love, and it's actually become a bit of a motivator for me in 2022, is you've added the badges. But again, I think what I love what I love about the Sabbath project, and we've had conversations about this, Michael, is the fact that you are looking to celebrate the right things, and the badges are one of those things that celebrate the right things. So talk, tell us about the badges because I've chatted to a few birders who don't even know that the badges are there. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, okay. That that's, that development was actually driven by Ernst Retief and Sanyo Rose, where we were looking for a way to motivate observers to go out to meet targets as such. So implementing a bit of a competitive nature, but instead of competing against each other, it's getting hit reaching targets for yourself. So we developed these badge systems. So, and we set targets. I think there's four targets uh, or levels, five levels for each um, thing. So the most pentad, or number of pentads, number of cards submitted, uh, number of assists, which is number of cards where you're an additional observer, and then number of low coverage pentads covered in a year. Because we we thought those are the four criteria that we would like to, or people are most competitive on. So we, we set this, this, these targets up. We decided what levels we wanted to have and put them out. And like you say, if you can go in there and you can set that I want to get a platinum badge for 2022 for all categories, which is a great, brilliant thing to actually set your target to set yourself, <laughs> just in case you're looking for one. And that's what you're chasing. You're chasing it against yourself. You're not chasing against anybody else. So it's it's not a, a what do you call it, a, a competitive amongst people yet. I mean, I'm sure people are going to use it that way, but that's fine. So we have a, quite a few observers who have already hit platinum um, levels and four cards submitted and pentads covered, which is actually surprising how quickly some people hit those numbers. But it, it's, it really has become a, a nice motivating. To access it, you would go into your My Data page. So once you've logged in, you go into My Data page, your My Data page, and your badges will be listed on that. Um, and your 2022 pay, um, badges will be listed on the home page when you log in, which is quite nice. What I like looking at is um, the My Data pages, you can actually see which badges you've hit historically per year. So if you go to the bottom of the page, you can below your map, you can actually see which years you hit which targets according to our current criteria. And that's quite interesting to see where where you were most active historically. I mean, I had a look at um, Neil Perrins the other day, Neil Perrins, and he's hit targets virtually every year since the beginning of the project, and it's phenomenal. We've spoken about the good stuff about the website, but one of the negative things that people often complain about, I know it's one of my gripes, um, is the speed of the website. You know, Tyron, part of the part of our team, he kind of had a bit of a joke. He said, when you start the Sabab website, you start it up, go make a cup of coffee and then come back and it might be running. Is this something that you're working on? Because, yeah, I think it's probably the only thing that takes away from what from the site. Yeah, it is something that we've been working on quite hard. Um, trying to fix things out with uh, actually since Monday I've implemented a whole but a wholesale range of changes to the systems the back-end systems um, and that has seen an improvement speed from about 25 to 40 percent depending on which page you open a lot of the coverage maps and species accounts those are still a bit slow but that is primarily because it is rendering those pages off live data um, so it's creating all those summaries at live so I have a whole slew of um, updates that I'm going to implement to make that even quicker. But yes, things are a bit slow still. Big improvements have been made in the way it loads your data. And when you're uploading cards and dealing with out-of-range forms, 
the speed there has been increased quite considerably. So the, the interactive data capture side of things has been improved quite a lot, but the, the building of the data summaries and the maps and those, that's still a bit slow. But we are working on it. There's a lot happening behind on the back end of the project and on the database side of things to increase those speeds. And then a lot of thing, another thing that people dread is getting ORFs out of range forms. And I know, you know, it's obviously a compliment. And it's, people should look forward to it. Yeah, it's like, exactly. It's a species you that you've added to the list. But you you spoke about there's things that you've done to make the, that process a little bit smoother. So chat us through that. Okay. Um, so what we've done at SABAP2 is we got hold of the RACs, uh, the Regional Atlas Committee members, and we had a discussion around what information we actually need. Because before you had that set of, I think, nine questions that were being asked. And we've streamed that, that streamlined that down now to just four questions, the four primary questions that are needed to gather the information that they actually use for out-of-range forms. And we've implemented just those four questions now. So it has made it quicker to capture the data. And because of the updates to the back end as well now, saving that data is a lot cleaner and a lot quicker. So that's made it really much easier to use. Uh, The page loads faster, type in your information, and it saves much faster as well. So that, that has helped a lot. The RACs have also been doing a great job in keeping up to date as much as possible with any out-of-range forms that come in. They are dealt with now fairly fast, fairly quickly, to get that turnover going and to get everything running. So that really has been a, a great effort there uh, from the RACs. Yeah, just the last question, which I think is the most important question of everything, is how can people get involved and support the project? Uh, easiest way is to go through to the website and register, and then to email us once you've done that, if you if you need a little help or you want just a bit of help getting going so register email us and then we can put you in touch with a buddy an atlasing buddy or the regional atlas coordinator for the area just to help you get going and to to set up which bird clubs have active active atlasing outings and things like that and just to help guide you through Um, they just need to let us know and we can do that yeah go to the website's the easiest register Uh, we get notified on every registration so that's great we'll know that there's a new observer. Use our Facebook groups. We have both a Facebook group and a page, which is really nice. Uh, We make announcements through the page, but then the community engages quite a lot on the Facebook group. And that is a huge resource as well for getting hold of people, getting in touch, asking questions and things like that. Well, Michael, thank you so much. It's been it's been awesome to chat to you, and uh, yeah, uh, looking forward to just seeing some of the new stuff that's coming in, and some of the uh, you know just exciting to see the projects moving forward. So, thanks for your time. I really appreciate it. No, it's a problem. It's been great to be on. And thanks for your time. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this week's show. We really appreciate your support. If you have any comments or feedback on any of the episodes feel free to drop us an email on info at thebirdinglife.com or send us a message on any of our social media platforms. We would love to get to know you better. So until next time, be blessed and happy birding.